forever. Dog. All right, here we go. It's Relatively Healthy, and we're back today to talk about deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolisms, which can be caused by birth control. And this is a really scary topic, and I don't know anything about it except for an article I read 15 years ago in either Glamour or Seventeen. So we need my sister expert, Dr. Ellen Stoller, to weigh in. We're going to start the episode with her explaining all these medical terms and what we're talking about, because truly, I don't know. And then we're going to be joined by a fantastic comedian, producer, and woman named Jen O'Donnell, who's going to share her experience with a pulmonary embolism caused by birth control. So first off, what is a deep vein thrombosis? All right, so basically a thrombosis is a blood clot and then the veins in your body, depending on where they are, are either called deep veins or superficial veins. And so the big, uh, the deep veins tend to be bigger, so that's why blood clots and so tend to be a, a lot bigger of a deal. And then what's a pulmonary embolism? So pulmonary so embolism is just another, basically just a bigger blood clot, and pulmonary means lung. And so you, pulmonary, oh. oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask, but yeah, pulmonary is lung. So right. that's the trouble that happens when the blood clot travels to your lung. But can you also have as significant a situation if it travels anywhere else in your body? I mean, the other place that's real bad to get um, blood clots is your brain. Mm -hmm. then those are called strokes. That's a stroke. Okay, got it. Um, And so what would you say, like, as a physician, what do you look for if you're trying to figure out if someone has a blood clot? Sure. So, you know, depending on where in the body it is, you're going to have different symptoms. But the big thing, if you're looking at arms and legs, are going to be basically one-sided swelling. Uh, there's a lot of um, kind of like decision trees and like little algorithm scores that you can give people based on um, do they have risk factors for a blood clot? Is the, is a blood clot more or less to another diagnosis? Um, what is their heart rate? To even kind of help you risk stratify as a clinician, what is the likelihood of this? person's symptom is caused by a blood clot versus caused by another etiology. Mm-hmm. And is it, would you say, this is a weird question, but is it high on the list of possibilities if someone comes in and they say, so for example, they have pain or they have like trouble breathing, is it one of the first things you would assess? Yeah, especially in the clinic and the hospital, like the doctor's first job is to really rule out anything that's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So even though not everyone who comes in short of breath necessarily has a blood clot, if someone is sufficiently short of breath to come to the ER, it's at least in the back of your mind when you're seeing the patient. Got it. And so if someone, uh, if you find out someone has a blood clot, what do you do? Mm-hmm. So it depends. If someone has like a giant blood clot in their lung to the point 
where they're like hemodynamically unstable, where like the blood clot in their uh, lung is so big that it's like putting an extra ton of strain on their heart. Then if things are like really, really dire, then you can actually consider either giving someone like clot busting medicine to break up the clot right away or having um, like an interventional doctor, like an interventional pulmonologist try and take the clot out. Like, like scoop it out? Like, or like, yeah, either like blast it with clot busting medicines or take, um, you have to have like a wire and either try and like bust it up or like, yeah, like yank it out with a little, uh, caliper. But most of the time it's not that serious and the big thing that you want to do is just keep it from um, from like embolizing, from like forming like big chunks that can cause more damage or from propagating and getting bigger. So the main state of treatment for most, the vast majority of blood clots is blood thinners. Blood thinners. And that's what Serena Williams was on and that's why she couldn't get a C-section, right? Because it wasn't going to heal? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, the, the thing about a blood thinner is that it is, uh, you know, obviously going to make it harder for your blood to clot. And so it makes sense that in an area of your body that's, like, real vascular, like an open wound, where obviously, like, having blood clot is really important, but just being on blood thinners, unfortunately, is going to then kind of predispose you to bleeding and would make wound healing a little bit harder. Got it. And so what would you say about the birth control risk uh, to anyone who's worried about birth control and blood clots? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a risk. The bigger the, the thing, I, you know, it's certainly a worthwhile conversation for any person thinking I'm getting on really any sort of hormone, especially estrogen, to talk about with their doctor. Certainly the risk is a lot bigger after you turn 35 and it's further compounded if someone uh, is smoking. So all of those things are kind of independent risk factors for blood clots also. So you know what I always on, wonder? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Mm. Oh, go ahead. I was going to ask, you know how they say you shouldn't be on certain birth controls over 35? What are people over 35 supposed to do? I mean, they're just supposed to do other birth controls. But what if you have, like, endometriosis? Then what about condoms? What about a copyright Oh, well. What about, what about barrier methods? All right. All right. Yeah, so if you're over 35, just <laughs> do whatever. I mean, or you could, you know, talk to your OPGYN or an endocrinologist about a birth control that really offers way, way, way more progesterone and a lot less estrogen. Mm, interesting. Okay. So the hormonal balance, too, is a factor. So some that have more estrogen are more likely to cause the blood clot. Right. More estrogen, because estrogen basically changes how your the proportion of clotting factors in your blood, and it's just going to change how your platelets work. Is estrogen in and of itself is uh, kind of carcinogenic. Yeah. more from the blood. Estrogen, pain in the ass. Am I right? Exactly. Yeah, that's the medical that's the medical conclusion. <laughs> is there anything else you think people should know about these topics? Uh, so, so how long was your, or was your put on, on blood thinners for? A couple of years. So that's, that's interesting, because usually, um, you know, if you only get one blood clot, like in your, even in your longest standard therapy, it's usually only about six months. She had two. This is a spoiler okay. alert. And then, again, I would be curious, like, did her, back to them, like, one 
blood test to try and figure out, like, besides being on blood control, like, did this woman, like, have something off with, like, the clotting factors even in her blood that predisposed her to this in the first place? Because can that just be, that can just be a genetic thing. Like, this, there's something that changes the way your blood clots. Right. Okay. Well, that's fun, too. Because you might not know. What? You might not know. Oh, oh that's I mean, good. So, because there are guidelines for if someone gets, like, more than one blood clot, or if they have a family history of people getting blood clots at a young age, where, like, it's worthwhile to then consider, like, genetic testing, um with your doctor to say, okay, am I predisposed to blood clots? Because in some people, you could argue that their risk of another blood clot is so high that some people would then just put on blood thinners indefinitely. Got it. All right. Well, this is good to know. How often do you see people come in with blood clots? I mean, in the hospital, it's not uncommon. The other Mm. thing that we see a lot of is if someone's got like a big IV in their arm for more than a couple of weeks because they're getting like a lot of serious blood pressure mm-hmm. medicine or um, like long-term antibiotics, you can get blood clots with really? around in IC lines. Uh, so yeah, I think definitely in the hospital, it's not an uncommon occurrence. And especially if for whatever reason you can't run all the tests immediately to figure out if someone's got a blood clot. Uh, well, not infrequently, kind of err on the side of caution and start treating people until we're able to get the actual answer. Interesting. Well, I didn't realize so many different things could cause it. Very interesting. Cool. Yeah, I mean, well, and then there's also besides like genetic predispositions, uh, also like uh, having a solid organ tumor of any type is a huge, huge, huge risk factor for a blood clot. So if anyone comes in and they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, I've got a history of lung cancer or a history of breast cancer and being scared of prostate cancer and they come in with a sudden non-disturbance of breath the one side of the leg swelling, it's basically a blood clot until proven otherwise. Interesting. Wow. Okay, and so for the listeners, know that blood clots are real and be on the lookout yeah. for the symptoms. This is very helpful. Yeah. And in the yeah, meantime, it's, stay it's, active yeah, if you so- can. Yeah. Stay active. Don't smoke. Sure. I mean, if you're on an airplane, do the leg pump. Move around. plenty of water. Move around. It'll at least address the rule out of blood clot in your leg. It's only an ultrasound. It's very non-invasive. And even before somebody goes to like a capsule of your lung or an ultrasound of your leg, there's even like a blood test that can be done before to kind of like further help risk gratify somebody. So... I feel like, look, a missed blood clot would be such a big deal that if someone, like, legitimately thinks they have a blood clot, it is worth going to, honestly, the emergency room to at least get it checked out as soon as possible. All right, cool. Thanks for this advice. We are joined by a phenomenal comedian producer, Jen O'Donnell. Thank you. Thank you for being Hi. here. I'm ex- I'm really excited to be here. Well, so, I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm glad that you're having me on. Why are you nervous? Be- well, I, when I talked to you about this originally, I was like, 
this actually isn't something that I've talked about. Mm. Like really, I mean, I think there's a difference between like publicly or like written about it publicly versus like I talk about it to my friends a lot. You know, everybody who I was close to knows that I went through it. But I don't know. There's something different about and when we originally talked about me being on this, I was like, maybe this will kind of help me like write about it more and talk about it more and make jokes about it. But it's just something that I feel like is worth really sharing with people because I think it will um, I hope be really helpful to people. So I hope so too. I yeah. really think so. I mean, it's this is such an interesting topic, and you're such a good guest because my so we're gonna talk about deep vein thrombosis and specifically birth control yeah. and how it relates to blood clots and all the things that can go wrong. And I feel like probably a lot of listeners, my only exposure to stories about this are like a story in Glamour magazine when we were 14. Yes. And then you close it, but there's no sort of conversation ongoing about birth control and the risks. Yes, because it sort of is like the ultimate horror story of birth control, right? Right. And it really is something that when you read that horror story, when you read that 17 magazine article, which I thank God they exist, honestly, um, it really is one of those things where you think, well, that's not going to happen to me. And a big part of this happening to me in in sort of in short, you know, I had um, a I had two pulmonary embolisms, which means that the blood clots traveled from my legs into my lungs. Um, and then I had one in my leg as well. So it was one of those things that when you read the risk factors and you read those things, you think, but that's not going to happen to me. So right. the problem is, is that when that thing does happen to you, then for the rest of your life or thus far in the last four years for me, I'm like, well, what else could happen to me? Right. Because <laughs> like, so that could happen. The odds I are, could also have this and this and this. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. so anything is possible. Yeah. yeah. So maybe but, I got abducted by aliens. Who knows? Who I, it knows? could have been me too. It you could know? be you. If, if, <laughs> if no one, why, or what is the um, Mandy Kaling thing like? Oh, the why, why not, not me? me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the flip side of that yeah. book. So the likelihood of a blood clot for women who's not on birth control is pills is about four for every 10,000. And that's so like, mm-hmm. that's like, oh, that's not me. Sure. Yep. And then the likelihood when on birth control is 17 or 18 for every 10,000. Still, still really, really low. low. Yeah. Yep. It's four to five times higher, but it's still really low. And then uh, to caveat two, that is all com- all combined hormonal birth control pills. So that has both estrogen and progesterone mm-hmm. carry a small increased risk for developing blood clots, but some pills are riskier than others. And then if you smoke or if you're over 35 or right. you're sedentary, then it's a lot yes. higher. And, and you said smoke, right? Yes. Smoke, overweight, sedentary, um, and any um, like biological risk factors too. And like, did you fit any of those categories? None of those categories. Okay, here we go. So this yeah. is why we need to talk about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Although the sedentary thing because um, one risk factor was that I had flown across the country. And so I'm, I, my family's from Buffalo. I come from a small town outside of Buffalo. I fly home twice a year. Um, And not only that, like, you know, I have taken long flights in the past before, so it never even really seemed like um, it would be, I I, I didn't know that that was another thing that could contribute to it. But, um, you know, I, I really attribute Honestly, my life being saved by a woman who was the um, physician's assistant at an immediate care that I went to, who, you know, I flew flew home for Christmas. This was a few days before the holiday. 
And I just had this this feeling that got progressively worse. And so the next day, I was like, I have this sharp pain. It's in my lungs. Could you feel anything on the plane? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I felt before the flight was that I my calf was tight. Mm-hmm. But I <laughs> I have really big calves anyway. <laughs> like, I have like very developed <laughs> calves. <laughs> don't mean to brag, but <laughs> and like to the point where like people like bikers will pass me when I'm riding my bike, and they're like, nice calves. And oh. I've been like like oh, yeah. humiliated about them since I was in fourth grade, right. you know, and I'm like, don't talk. But so my calf was sore, just one of them, which I then learned was um, actually the blood clot was the soreness, oh. which is very interesting, but I had no idea. So right. that was the only thing I felt. And I had this memory of stretching my leg before I got on the plane, but like it, that just seemed kind of like, oh, I maybe pulled it at the gym or like maybe I like ran up a flight of stairs and pulled a muscle. Who knew? Sure. Um, so I, I ended up going, what was funny is I was supposed to speak at my high school that day. I flew home for Christmas and like I worked in TV. So like, and I kept, a, I had a relationship with my mass media teacher. So we like kept in touch. And he, um, my mom is the lunch lady at my school. Oh, she was that. my high school lunch lady. So she was like, Mr. Garman's gonna have you in his class. And he's so excited. Oh my God. And I was supposed to go in and speak. And that morning I woke up and I was like, something is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a person who is like very aware of my pain. And I'm a person who can like go a, like a, an entire hike and somebody will be like, did you, you, you had a rock in your shoe the whole time? And I'd be like, oh, it kind of bothered me, but like, it's fine. Yeah. Like I just always kind of am really dismissive of my own pain. And so I went a very long time, f- a few days being like, oh, something's not right. Mm. Is this gas? Like it was Because so, you felt it in your side? I felt it in my side and then sort of under, it, it was like, it was like sort of a sharpness of breath. And uh-huh. I actually, I have a memory of um, being on the couch and, like hang I was playing with my niece and I do you ever have that thing where you like breathe in and then all of a sudden it like really hurts and you're like oh what was that yeah the worst one I'd ever felt in my life Uh and then it was gone Uh but then the next day like the entire night I slept weird and then the next day I was brushing my teeth and I just like burst into tears and I was like I have to I don't I have to I gotta somebody's gotta do something about this yeah so I went to an immediate care um and luckily in New York the immediate care that I went to which was just like a 24-hour clinic they, I had a um, physician's assistant who was a woman who she came in after like looking at my chart and was like, um, okay, so you're, and she kind of like looked at everything and she was like, did you, maybe you pulled a muscle. She was like, you said you lifted up your niece. How old is she? And I'm like, well, she's tiny. Like she's, you know, she's seven. And she was like, well, lifting a seven year old could pull a muscle. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a muscle. But then I remember her asking, she was like, are you from here? And I was like, oh no, I flew home. I live in LA. I flew home. And she was like, are you on birth control? And I was like, yeah, I am. And she was like, you know what? Let's let's do let's do some blood work. And luckily they had this thing called a D-dimer test at this immediate care. And my D-dimer test, the numbers were elevated. So she came back. And what is that test? Um, basically, that I guess that test has something. I, I actually don't. I don't want to speculate on it. All, all I'll ask I know, my sister. Yeah. We'll write that yeah, down. <laughs> I like that. All, all. I love that we have a, a professional reference because right. all I know is that if you have an elevated D dimer, it could mean that you have a blood clot. It. it doesn't necessarily mean that it does. So, like miraculously, that blood work comes back like a half hour later, and she comes back into the room, and she's like, "Look." Your levels are elevated. You did go. You had. You were on a long flight, and you were on the birth control pill. And she was like, "I can't force you to go to the ER, but I would highly recommend it." 
we can get you an ambulance or you could drive there, whatever you want to do. And I was like, uh, I guess you're just panicking at that point, like an ambulance. (laughs) all No, I wasn't. I still wasn't because I just didn't believe it. Sure. You're like, okay, let's go. Whatever it is, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I guess this is really inconvenient. I've got Christmas shopping to do. (laughs) You know, I've got a lot of plans with my friends this night, you know. So, um, yeah, so I ended up, my dad drove me to us, and I, I was like, oh, just drop me off at the ER. Like, I don't think this is a thing. My dad ended up, like, making some calls in the car. My mom was so pissed at him about this later. <laughs> but he was. we were like, this should be fine. Right. And thank God for this, though. Honestly, this was, for me, I think a lot of people, when I tell people this, because a lot of people who have a pulmonary embolism, they talk about how it's, because if it if it escalates to the point of, where it's uh, where it's risking your life, which at this point it was, I just didn't know. People are like the number one sign of that is just like panic. Mm. Like you can't breathe. You have a full on anxiety attack. You you really just like absolutely lo- like because you can't you literally mm-hmm. can't breathe. I think I'm just like too chill for my own good sometimes <laughs> because I was just like, I don't know. They told me to come here. But meanwhile, your heart rate was probably low and you were like doing everything yeah, right. At the same. I mean, yeah. just thank God for that PA though. Yes. I mean, and I, I ended up emailing her after and I was like, you you saved my life. Wow. And, and I could see I, someone not ever asking no, or ever pushing Honestly, it. I can't see. I think there is something to be said for having a woman and somebody who has my experience or mm-hmm. a female experience sitting in that room because this is a woman who was my peer she was probably my age she's probably in her late 20s and had known this had happened to friends of hers and had and so if a man had sat down with me I do think that there's a really good chance that it wouldn't have gone through his mind to think absolutely not is is she on birth control and could this be something that happens to her that would not happen and so I think that there's a really there's a very real possibility that a female medical professional in the room saved my life I bet and also they just don't I mean studies show they just don't take women's pain seriously at all women's pain seriously yeah so I just feel like it could have been like I pulled a muscle have a good Christmas yeah yeah good luck yeah Merry Christmas exactly and then boom Dead. And then done. Um, so yes. Uh, so the, it, you know, they they took me to the ER, and basically in the ER the whole time I was like, I don't know, I think I'm supposed to be here. I'm not really sure. And then you do once you're in the ER, you get like really, it's a very scary place to be. Um, they put me in a CT scan. They were like, this is probably nothing, but you should get checked out. And then they came back and they were like, you have two blood clots in your lungs. And then it was immediate, like they a Lovenox injection. And all of this actually ended up being, for me, it wasn't one of those things where um, it was like, you could die right now. For me, I think I did just, I didn't realize how grave it was or like how serious it was until I was in care, in proper care, which to have that experience versus the flip version of that experience is, um, is much different and less scary, but it's still really also very scary. So, um, you know, the stats that I read about, uh, people who die from it is that literally the stat was for people who die from a pulmonary embolism, the first symptom is death. <laughs> like they, that's the only sign they have because sometimes it's it like go- almost like they're trying to be cute. I mean, why are we even saying that? Just don't even. Why even worry? Don't say that. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So, so so you had the fortune of having all that pain. Right. And yes. then the luck of that person asking the question. Right. That asking then, the right questions and getting me and telling me that. Also saying it in a way where it was like, I'm not going to force you, but you should go. I feel yes. like 
another person saying could be like, you know what? It could be eh, whatever. Right. I like that she was a little bit like, eh, she was worth like, looking this at. is, yeah, this isn't something to sort of ignore, which I'm really good at with my pain in general because sure. that's what I've been socialized to And also like how do. expensive is it going to be? And totally. like, what am I doing and who am I burdening and all that? 100%. Yeah. At the time I worked for a company, I had health insurance at the time. Um, and thank God for that because there, it, there's been times that I haven't. So, and you know, you ignore the pain and you do. <laughs> yeah. And what would I have done then? Exactly. You know? So, so yeah. So then you went to the hospital, I found them. Yeah. And then what happened? So, um, basically I spent just one overnight in the hospital. I was actually out. It was like a full, this is like a Dickens miracle. I left the hospital on Christmas Eve, like wow. tiny Tim style. Wow. <laughs> God blesses everyone. I was like at the hospital. I was like so upset and I was like, I'm going to miss Christmas. And I'm, and they're like, well, look, we can, we can get you out of the hospital by this time. If this doctor signs off on this and you can, you know, basically um, it was um, taking a blood thinner injection mm-hmm. and then having to basically have a doctor on call who would tell me the amount of blood thinners I was supposed to take every eight hours or so. Wow. So, but I just like wanted to be out of there so bad. And I just like wanted to like, you know, be home at Christmas time. And, and honestly, I have to also say like, I at the time was in a very high pressure job. And my, for me, when I look back, I'm like, my nightmare was not Am I going to like live through this? It was like, am I going to miss our next pitch? And I'm like, when I look back at that, I'm like, it's it's so different to look at back at that with different perspective and be like, I know that you didn't think that this was like life threatening or that this was like um, a significant change in your life. Right. But like I was so preoccupied with making sure that I didn't miss a beat in my professional career. And I'm like, what a waste of life. Right? <laughs> like, it's just not worth it. It's not. We. Um, I looked at this picture, you know, how Facebook memories come up and you're like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I don't want to look at my ex-boyfriend and I in Hawaii. You yeah, know? it has a certain taste. It seems to like, you know. <laughs> it does. So I saw this picture and this was actually like in the last month I saw this and I was like, oh, I should, I should, I should mention this on the podcast because – I looked at this picture. I so I was a um, and still am. I work in reality TV, and I was a development exec at a company who basically we every year you go to this thing called Real Screen, which is in DC. And it's like all the buyer, all the cable buyers, and all the producers come and like pitch ideas. <gasps> I want to go. It's ri- it's the most ridiculous thing wow. in the entire world, and it's like. It, so basically, all of DC is crawling with reality TV talent and producers, and what like a bizarre juxtaposition. It's so bizarre, especially these days. Oh like, my god, who's walking around well, DC? Well, what's so interesting about it is like, and then we created the president. You know what I mean? Like well, our president mm-hmm. is a reality television star, which is also why I'm having a life crisis and quit my job. But yeah, I get um, that. I get that. <laughs> so this was uh, less than a month after I'd had the pulmonary embolisms. And I, there's picture popped up in my Facebook memories. It's from 2015. I'm with a friend of mine who is also an exec, and we're at this party in the White House is behind us. And we t- this picture caption says, um, "What glass ceiling?" And it's like the both of us with like the White House behind <laughs> us, and like I'm just like, what like rose colored glasses of 2015 of just like these two like young women who are like we're gonna take over the world, and like the White House will be run by a woman oh soon, God. and like, but I look at that picture and I was like that wasn't even a month after I basically almost died right and I'd like I didn't tell anybody that it had happened Wait, why like 
I, I don't know. I just was like, I, I told like my immediate, like sort of, um, like I told my, my bosses sort of knew, mm-hmm. but I just remember going and like having to like inject myself with blood thinners, but like be on and like be pitching and like make right. sure that I didn't miss a beat and like make sure that they knew that I could still do my job. See, this even is like the mentality. It's like, I it's need to be so on at all toxic and yeah. terrible. Exactly. And I just look at that picture and I'm like, why was that so important to mm, me? And like, why was I not? And, and so this is, you know, I think as a whole, it was like this, this part where I like looked back at the, sort of how I prioritized my own health Mm -hmm. and how it just seemed like it wasn't something that was like, I guess, worth um, my time or like worth. But like if you look at it really holistically and you're looking at it like as – um, like you, you, you're not gonna really be successful if your dad is like the thing that you like. true. <laughs> you actually need your body to function, yeah, and you actually need to have reverence and take care of it, and that's part of be. That's part of like being a responsible person. Yeah, that's a very good point. Like you read a book like Lean In, or you hear these conversations yes. about like how hard you have to work, and it's like, why, why do we have to work that hard? Is it's, it really worth it to like? kill yourself too. And it isn't. I think I learned that lesson and I'm still learning that, which is why I think I I wanted to talk about this a lot too, was was because I think that it gave me a lot of career perspective Mm. and sort of just an overall perspective about, um, yeah, about what the amount of time and energy you are dedicating and the things that you're sacrificing for really for what? Right. Like, exactly. What, what reality show? What deck did I have that I was pitching out? Yeah, <laughs> was like going to be like what grand idea that never existed was worth me potentially being? Because like in retrospect, I should have been like, guess what? I can't go on this trip. I just flew across the country and I almost died. Um, and so it, it's just I think it's really interesting to like look back on that and think like this was so important for me to go and sort of like. I don't know, that idea of sort of proving yourself. Yeah, and proving to yourself, too. Like, yeah. oh, no, I'm going to be fine. And it's nothing, fine. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just, it's okay to just say sometimes, like, no, you're not fine. Right. And if you really are looking at a long-term goal, the best thing you can do for yourself is to take care of yourself. And to, even when you said that, um, you just said earlier, like, you, luckily, you had pain. And I think that's actually really, like, a significant thing to think about. It like um, not to super get into this because I don't want to be the person who has a million health things on your podcast. But I recently had hip surgery, mm. and the reason that I re- the reason we knew that I needed hip surgery was because I was in pain. And my doctor said, "Well, sometimes your hip bone could just have disintegrated and then shattered, and then all the." So she was like, "So luckily, your body was signaling to you that yes. something had to be done." See, this is the same kind of thing I think with like working out or with. Yeah. You know, what do they say? Like, um, no pain, no gain. Yep. Like, that kind of thing. I think with work and with our bodies, we just get really, one, we just get out of touch with them. Like, I just think we ignore them yeah. and don't treat it's them well. It's two different entities. Like, your mind and your body like, are like. Like, as long as it's thin, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then the other thing is, I think we're also, I feel like I've been sort of socialized not to complain and to be a trooper. Mm-hmm. And so, if I'm feeling pain or if I'm not feeling great, like, yes. I'm not going to bring it up because yep. I'm just going to go along with things. Yeah. And even um, I think culturally it is 
it, it, it almost is part of sort of my persona in a way too. And it is very much a part of my like family culture and the culture I grew up in where like, even when we still talk about that story, because I think I was just like so shell shocked and I like wanted to, like, I didn't want people to worry about me. I didn't want to worry about myself because mm. that would be even scarier. But like, um, they still talk about how, um, two days later I still came out to the brewery and like, and there, I wasn't supposed to drink because I was on blood thinners, right, but I was right. like, I can take a couple sips of it. I can do, <laughs> I'll take a beer sample. And they were like, oh, but they say that story like, oh yeah, like you're such a trooper and like, you're like, this is going to stop me. But right. I'm like, but shouldn't you let things stop you That's sometimes? That's the thing. I always, I always think about this. Yeah. Like, you know, it's all of our language around sickness and mm-hmm. healing. And it's like, are you, for example, with cancer, are you a fighter? Right. Are you? That's a big one. I mean, yeah. so what does that mean if you do not? have mm-hmm. the same outcome. Does that mean you're not right. a fighter? So, like, let's yeah. not value people's strength by how much they suppress their symptoms. Yeah. I yep. mean, it's crazy. I think the problem is, is that I think that probably worked for a lot of people. And they unfortunately think that dispelling that same information is going to, like, save other people. Right. That they're right. like, I just shut my entire mind down and <laughs> totally, like, you know, I, I, like, I literally shut down a part of me so that I could survive this. But, like, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to work for everybody. Right. Or that that's smart or healthy for everybody. Exactly. It's not. And it's, it's not. also, I think, kind of a very stereotypically sort of American way to talk about it. Right. Um. Right. I'm like, you should have my hematologist on. She, we actually had this love. conversation and she was talking about just the idea of um, just death, generally speaking, and the idea of um, uh, people, they, they use the term like giving up or like deciding that they're not going to go through treatment anymore and mm-hmm. saying that this is sort of a, um, that in some way that this would be, um, yeah, giving up in some way. Like this is right. a white flag. A failure. Yeah. But really, it's um, for a lot of people, it's a decision about um, how they it's, it's a dignity decision. And it's a decision about how you want your own body. Right. To um, the you know how the results that you want and the not that you necessarily want, but that you are doing um, you're choosing the path and that you have the autonomy to do so. Right. Um, as opposed to giving up or some sort of like weak language. Yes. Yeah, totally. So what was your, so your treatment at first was the blood thinners that mm-hmm. was like immediately they put you on those yeah so I was on uh, a blood thinner and then uh, which was like it's a pretty old school blood thinner that they first put you on called Coumadin yes it's like this big for some reason they give you this giant pill and then they're like but it's very important that you take the exact is that correct the one amount. where you can't have grapefruit. What can you not uh, have on that? There's something. Well, I wasn't on for very long, so I might get this kind oh. of wrong, but I know like spinach and things that were iron. Yeah, I got it. The, yeah, that's right. The certain things were off limits in that regard. Grapefruit may have been one of them. Maybe. I wasn't on it for very long. They ended up putting me on Zarelto, which is kind of like a designer modern blood thinner. Zarelto. Yeah, <laughs> Zarelto. Try it today. Luckily, then they said they told me that I, this was going to be like you're on this for life. So that sort of when that happened, I was like, oh, wow, this isn't something that like I leave the hospital. I have some follow ups. This is like this is a rest of my life thing. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I being on a blood thinner is is a really a lifestyle for me at the time I was 27. So I was like, okay, you for one being on blood thinners means you generally can't drink. Um, And. You know, for, to be 27 and to be, um, one, out pitching or at network events or having dr- – have I basically was like at the time every week I had a Tinder date or like a, a work drink. And it was like 
that was a very big sort of shift for me to be like, oh, I can't drink anymore. Right. And then do I explain why? And then, or yeah, do I just. To people you know? I don't know. Yeah. Like, like on a it, first date, am I going to be like, right. so I don't drink because of yes. this? Here, let me tell you about it. Let exactly. me tell you a little bit about birth control. <laughs> um, and uh, then beyond that, it was like anything else like that was really physical. So like. You really shouldn't ski or um, ice skate, which, like, let's be honest, I like to read books. So, like, for me, I was like, okay, well, I can sit in the lodge on a ski trip. That doesn't seem so awful. But really what they were really saying is that you have have to have this certain amount of care for your body that you've Mm. never had before. You can't fall and, like, it just be okay. You can't – cut yourself shaving I couldn't shave my legs I couldn't have a razor I could do like a buzzer or like I was like maybe I can nair maybe you know but I you couldn't use a razor because if you nick yourself you're not going to stop bleeding and it also means if you're in a car accident or if something happens like unexpectedly that you are going to bleed out and you're you have you require immediate care so you know at the time I was on blood thinners for about a year um, almost two years and I basically had to wear a bracelet at all times that said, like, that I was on a blood thinner in case something happened. If or, you did, like, cut yourself or something, like, with a knife cooking or something, what happened? It just didn't— It never happened to it me never happened. because I was so— yeah, yeah, because I was like, I can't go to the hospital again. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you must have been so vigilant. It, you had to be—it was—yeah, it was a whole nother, like, world of being vigilant. And, like, any time a bruise appeared, being like, am I bleeding internally? Do I need to go to the ER? Did you um, go during that time ever? There was one time that I thought I was having another um, pulmonary embolism. And when I look back, it definitely was a panic attack. Mm. Um, but at the time, all of the symptoms were absolutely mimicked. Mm-hmm. and uh, But there was no really – and I knew it when it was happening. I was like, I'm on blood thinners. It can't happen again. Mm-hmm. But maybe it could. And I have to – if I didn't get checked out the first time, I would be dead. So right. I better go. Um, and it's crazy. Like, if you ever want to get to the front of a, a ER line, let me tell you, <laughs> just tell them you have a history of a pulmonary embolism and that you have chest pain. And it's like, wow. they take you back so fast. And they like threw, like, they, I was on the bed. They were like, she has a history of this, CTs, this, this, and this. And then they found nothing. And then they were just like, okay, go home. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that I'll just go home now. Okay. okay. <laughs> sure. So, not, wow. so I'm good. Um, so uh, anyway, luckily I'm now off blood thinners. Mm-hmm. Um, they did, they, they basically do like um, a whole slew of tests. Like um, there's a thing called factor five. Um, there's all kinds of like uh, sort of um, genetic blood diseases that if you have that, that could have contributed to mm-hmm. it. I didn't have any of those. So they basically just said that it was a combination of birth control and a long flight and um, at the time I was on my period, they were like, so maybe there was a hormonal thing that it was. But you're truly that case. You're truly that it would never yeah. happen to me. I don't right. have the risk factors. It just happened. It just did. And so after that, I mean, I can't imagine. Well, one, did you change birth control? Like, how did I, how did you change your relationship they, with birth control? Yeah, so they immediately take you off birth control. Right. You, I can't be on the pill ever again. Okay. Um, and as I learned, I which I didn't at the time because it's just like it's so much information coming at you at I once. I can't imagine. But um, I had a situation with my boyfriend where I was like, uh, I need, I might need to take a Plan B pill. Yeah. And I called my hematologist just to like tell her that I was going to, mm-hmm. and she was like, you can't. 
take a you plan B pill. You can't take plan B. No, because the real it's the it's the hormones of the birth control pill. Oh. So plan B is hormones. Right. And she, I was like, well, what if I take a blood thinner and then I can take the plan? And she was like, you have to realize that you almost died. <laughs> <laughs> you are still being told this. Like I'm still being you're told it. Keep hearing it over and over. This and you're is, like, no, yeah, no, no, I know, yeah. I know. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, can't do it. And and the other thing is, is that um, like all of my friends were like, oh, well, you could do the IUD because. Ugh, sorry. Yeah. Well, and so, and that's what it, but then my gynecologist told me that at the time I was on, I had been on blood thinners. It was like coming up on year two. Mm-hmm. And I assumed that I was going to be going back on or keep staying on them. And she was like, actually, I don't really have a lot of patients who are on blood thinners Mm -hmm. who do the IUD. So I don't know if that's going to make you bleed more. So the truth is, is that there's really just no research and there's really just not information for her to be like, oh, you can do that. So she just kind of. uh, Well, good for her to admit it. Yeah. And say that. She said that and she kind of warned me against it. And then not only that, I mean, as we wanted to discuss, I think it's worth mentioning, like I had been on the birth control pill since I was 19. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of the time, some um, they say that when you switch pills, sometimes there's a reaction, or when you're first on it, sometimes there's a reaction. So that was another mystery, which was that I had been on it for a long time. Usually, these things happen within the first year, is what I've read. Interesting. Uh huh. Which I think is uh, is really interesting, especially for like young women who are on it for the first time. See, here's a thing that I've been wondering: Do you think that these drug companies hide the hide the f- the frequency or they're doing things to sort of water down the story. I don't know the right word, but mm-hmm. like keep people not fearing this. Cause I believe there was a lawsuit with the new Varang, Yep. Which I'm on. And I was like uh, pretty shocked to see it was like, Oh, a bunch of ladies have died from the blood clots that they got on it. And then I saw a bunch of stories that were like, it's not true. The yeah. claims are exaggerated, and I don't know what to believe. And, and then, isn't that such a horrible world for us to live in? I had a doctor who said the most annoying thing. I oh, wanted to me. kill her. She, I said, I read that the Nuvering increases mm-hmm. your risk of blood clot. And she said, well, your risk of blood clot is even higher with pregnancy. And I was like, <laughs> I actually want to kill you. You don't understand how yeah. much I'm mad right yeah, now. Yeah, like, which one do you want to pick? They're both awful. Like, I, that's not, the, that's not helpful. That's not options. That's not, and the fact that those are our only options is bullshit. Again, like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not done with, like, the cute way of saying bad information. Yep. Just tell me it's just, say it's it. just yeah. the risk. Uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm I always am somebody who like as you can see I've brought notes here mm-hmm. you know I like to prepare I do yeah I like notes I like to know things the world is better for and it and I'm just like I, why wouldn't I ask like the, I'm a you're I'm already paying you a lot of money as my doctor so I'm going to yes. ask you questions yes and I remember talking to my gynecologist a few years before the pulmonary embolism happened. And like, because I had read the 17 article, you know, the one article we all remember. (laughs) Absolutely. I said to her and, and, you know, I think if I were her, I may have said the same thing, but I said, um, well, I'm worried about it because, you know, is it good to be on birth control this long? Am I going to be on birth control for 10 more years? Like, should I be worried? It's just something like I take a pill every day and I don't take any other pills every day. So it's something that I like think about a lot and like, is it safe to be on it? And I was like, should I think about the NuvaRing or should I think about an alternative? And she was like, well, I will say that women have been on the birth control pill for much longer than women have been on everything else. And women have safely been on the birth control. Okay, robot. Where do I turn you off? But if you really – I mean, 
It hasn't been that long. It hasn't. It's <laughs> For only anything. Been, no, like we're talking like I'm bad at math, like 60, 70 years. Right. It's really not that long. We're not seeing the long-term effects of it of either. Anything. I mean, yeah. this is the first, I guess, our parents' generation is the first generation that right. was— And to have it, like, ex- available. Uh, yeah, yeah, accessible for people. Yep. It's truly crazy. And I also—there's so many—it's also really hard because all we're dealing with is, like, you have two minutes with the gynecologist to go yeah. over your options. You right. don't have that much time to really explore. And you can go on Reddit and, like, see what everyone yep. says about theirs. But it's so person-to-person. And you can switch and you can do all that. But then you're going to have side effects. And yep. Do I wait out? I mean, birth control is such a mess. And then to know that you could just— straight up yep. die. It could just happen. You, you could might just die. die. One thing that could happen, death. Where is the FYI. male like requirement no. to do any of this? And so I, I was talking about this podcast with my book club before mm-hmm. I got here. Yes. <laughs> and I go, <laughs> Such a wonderful day I, I you're mean, having. I mean, I'm this having a great day. Perfect. Just chatted it with my book club. Um, we. I was like, you know, I think really what I want to say, like my, my real thesis in this is that it isn't that I want to warn all women about the birth control pill, right? And because, you know, even my friends who have the IUD, they were like, yeah, because I went on the IUD. It was the worst pain I ever had in my life. Or like, I went on this and it was the worst thing ever. And I'm like, yeah, there's no answer to this. We don't have the research. We don't have the money going into it. We don't have the conversations. And really what my thesis is, is that it wasn't that my birth control pill almost killed me. It's that the lack of dialogue and the lack of conversation and the lack of research and the lack of money and energy we are talking we are putting into something that is integral to the um, success of the human race like it's the most important thing if you literally strip everything else away yes. the survival of our species <laughs> is pretty important yeah. it's pretty much the and reason it's we're all on here these, like huge pharmaceutical companies just the way they like, act rah, like rah, I, rah, yeah exactly rah, rah. That, I, that's exactly right i think that's really true and i think like i don't know if there's really an un, like a tangible next step answer either for listeners because it does feel like this huge massive yeah. issue yeah i mean the main thing i would say it sounds like is like don't ignore your pain i mean that's right. huge which is huge and to i think to to think that um i guess to say to yourself um my pain is worthy of being looked at or f- I should raise a flag about this is a big lesson that I learned. And if you go somewhere and they don't treat it question as seriously it. Yeah. or question it, go somewhere else. Yeah, go somewhere else and get, you know, get your second opinions, trust your instincts. Right. Um, yeah, I have a note in my, literally just note this as bald and what that means <laughs> is that I go, I literally know that we will make more progress for male pattern baldness than we will for uh, women's reproductive care in our lifetime because that's where the money and resources are going. I mean, have you seen Steve Carell? Like, (laughs) proof is in the pudding. His head's looking amazing. And and we're still talking about death. I will be so mad if men can just not be bald when they're 50 and women are still dying at 27 because we're just not talking about how we need, we need more information. It's happening. And government grants (laughs) are enabling it. I'm telling you. I mean, this really does, it does feel like maybe it's all behind the scenes praying, God willing, that like 
the birth control stuff just feels so slow moving. Yeah. And it feels it like the only thing we're getting advertised are like more options of the same, the same combination. Yep. And the and lack of information too. Lack like of information. I I don't and and I don't know what the answer is, but like the answer isn't for me. Like another clever name for a birth control pill and a different like lifestyle that I'm like, oh, that this looks like this would be the right thing for me. Right. Like we need actual information. And yes. we need to lose the stigma of talking to each other about that information and discussing. I mean, I think I the stigma thing is important to me because I grew up Catholic. I grew up in a small town. I grew up in a culture that like birth control is something that is whispered about and never discussed. It's not something that like at family dinner tables, we talk about risk factors. It's not something that, um, you know, in my school system was ever introduced to me. And so for me, the stigma part of it and the lack of conversation and the lack of knowing anybody else's experience besides my own was a big part of it. So that to me, just the sheer conversation and the power of women being able to talk to each other about it. Have you talked with other women who've gone through it? Um, a f actually, just one. And one of them who I talked to who went through it was a person who said it's so important to talk to other women about it, which is why I wanted to be here because yeah. I I was like that it, it really is. Like it, even if it's not, you know, it could save a life. Yeah, really. so, totally it could. It absolutely yeah. could. And I don't know. I mean, if there's any, you know, gynecologist listening, I'd love to also just get the perspective on, like, how you bring yeah. up these risks. Because right. truly, never from a medical professional were these risks ever presented to me. Like, no. it really was that no. article. And I will say, too, it, it really was a win, I think. And I really, truly believe this because I think accessible reproductive um, – having affordable, accessible reproductive care is so important. So I want to say that first. But I do become very worried with the idea that young women, especially, can now in California, in Oregon, can go to a pharmacist without a doctor and get birth control. Because what I worry about is, is that pharmacist dispelling the information that they need to know about that birth control pill? Because the fact that women don't just honestly the fact that women don't just have a doctor that you can go to for free and talk about if you want to have children talk about your fertility take a look at you know there's a test that you can do for your eggs and it's a hundred bucks I'm like if that were men they would pay them five hundred dollars to go Absolutely. there would be a beautiful Burke Williams spa that they would go to they would get a paid date off of work they would be like well men have to carry on the human race so they have to be they have to get special treatment and for us it's like we have to seek out those doctors we have to talk to the women who have done it themselves and so the the fact that there isn't just that information readily available and now women can just go to CVS and get birth control. And I think about that 18 year old girl who's like, oh, great, this is so much easier. I don't have to like have an awkward conversation with a male gynecologist about my birth control. I can go to this doctor. And I'm like, there's an 18 year old girl somewhere who like maybe has a risk factor and doesn't know it and is taking this pill and has no idea. Right. And that worries me a lot and I know that just information could save her life true and what you point out is very true information on all of this yeah. on all of the things we're putting in our bodies and all of the risks because I feel like it's also one of those things where I don't think there's just I like you said I just don't think there's like a good reliable source of information for no. any of this stuff for, yeah. for young girls who are trying to make the best decisions for themselves right it's crazy it's crazy that it's just not all out there. That I know. it's just not like in the it's just like not in our world at all. It's yeah. 
And if you're not seeking it out, you're not finding it. So, yeah. <laughs> and even if you seek it out, like you are, you're like, well, who do you really believe? And who like, what believe? information do you really? That really is the scary thing when yeah. we're talking about drug companies. Like, yep. I would never trust them. So when I think about how evil they are, and then I think about the stuff that I'm putting in my body. Without I doubt a question. And, yeah. There's got to be bad stuff I don't know about. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, when you throw out your Nuvering, they ask you to put it in this foil. Oh, because God. Because it's so what? bad for the environment. <gasps> and it's in your it's body. It's in your body. Oh, you know. What I mean, but then I worrisome. Had the, it's a little worrisome. But then I had the non-hormonal <laughs> IUD because I was. Okay. I, I'll talk about this every single podcast no, for twenty minutes. Yeah. But I got that thinking. It's the opposite of what we were discussing. There's no risk, and it's, it's not hormonal, yep. and like animals wouldn't die from it. And the bleeding and the symptoms, the PMS were debilitating. I yeah. truly was like lying down for ten days every month, and it was extreme pain when it when it was put extreme in. pain. Yeah. I so many friends who I've talked to have been like it's the most it, and quickly but the most pain that I've ever experienced you in get, my life. It's like imagine your ear being pierced. It truly is a piercing. Yeah, but it's in your cervix. <laughs> you ever get your cervix pierced? Yeah, I know That's Christina Aguilera had yeah. like you know a bunch of piercings. <laughs> no one ever saw style. exactly. Yeah, that was the era. It what? Oh my god. So. um after that, though, you ended up getting taken out, like, right after that? I got—I actually, I tried to endure the pain. Yeah. So also— You're like, oh, it'll get better. I can handle it. I just got to buck up. <laughs> See, there gotta was a— Got to be a trooper. A trooper. There was, like, a grant um, in the state—whenever I lived in New York, there was a grant with Planned Parenthood where you could get one in for free. So I did that. Mm -hmm. But then to get it removed was, like, hundreds of dollars. Oh, God. So I was like, oh, I'll keep it in. And it was the worst. So I kept it in probably for like a year and a half until my friend was like, I'll just pay. I didn't yeah. take up uh, take like, them up on the offer. But I was like, I must be complaining a lot if this right. person's if like, I will like, pay to shut her up. out of your body. And when right. I did, it was just like a game change and everything was great again. <sighs> yeah. It's so awful. It's and awful. like, think about all of the things you could have been doing if you weren't in that pain. You know? I know. And I wasn't even like <laughs> making the most out of that IUD, not to be graphic, but it was like, <laughs> who's this for? I know. You're like, but that's, I mean, that was a big part of it for me too, that it was like, oh, who is this? for who is birth like that is the conversation exactly who's all this for Every, so you you guys just get to like live scot-free and then like regulate our bodies and like be a dick i think the answer to truly every ill in society is that men don't get to have sex anymore <laughs> yep. they can have sex with each other yep and then i know there's risks there and they'll deal with it yeah don't put that on us we don't need it right but it's all on us I know. And it's always All of the been burdens. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's a huge, huge, huge burden. And um, I think it's just always been traditionally um, just obnoxious and annoying for women to bring it up as a burden. Right. But I think we're finally, I mean, because of the internet and because of things like your podcast, like because of thing, like because of the ability of us to talk to each other and have law, larger, louder conversations about how all of us feel the exact same way. Right. I feel like they don't stand a chance. I hope not. <laughs> Honestly, they're awful. <laughs> but I do think one, two, another thing is I just want in general people to talk more about I do too. sex and birth control and yeah. all that. And, and, like we had a uh, recently endometriosis. Yeah, on the show I actually like, listened to that episode. Yeah, like, so yeah. that's I didn't interesting know a lot case. about it. Birth control, the hormones actually help regulate endometriosis. Yes. So yep. There's like a lot of sides to this. Yeah. So I just want us all talking more yeah. about all of this stuff. Because it's, I mean, it's really just, I think for, for not that, I'll speak to the men, you know, all of the men that probably listen to this Millions. podcast about women's health. Yeah. You know, they probably are very voraciously curious. They were like, like trying to get as much information. from birth control? Oh, Sign me wow. up. I have to listen to this podcast. I have empathy, sure. <laughs> but it, like, I don't think men understand that this is not 
uh, that this is something that affects the good of all of humankind, right? Yeah. That this isn't like a women's issue. It could be your this mom is- <laughs> or your sister. <laughs> but not only that, it's like there's this quote that I love about um, like when you look at the human race that's been dominated by men who have subjugated women for all of civilization. If you think about the idea that like we've mistaken the whole, the uh, the half as the whole is how they put it. Like men have only been able to make decisions and create art and discover planets really because we haven't had birth control until 50 years ago. But like we have really, our entire human race has been just totally stunted because half of the people in it haven't been able to participate. Like we could all be on vacation in Mars if we all just like figured out how to get women to like an equal status, right. you know, like to not be we burdened could all by be, all this. Yeah, yeah, we could all have healthy, happy lives if like we could all talk about how women need to be treated better. And it starts with women's health and how the bar so low. It's so low. It's just a, it's a, tra- it's a, a international tragedy. It really is. <laughs> like, it really is. And to think that like, this is the, we're at like the, you know, such a peak in women's health. Right. This, this is and, the peak. But I hope that like this peak, nobody can see this, that I'm drawing this, but like this peak is hopefully like, yeah, just the start of. Oh, we're going to swing back hard. <sighs> yeah. I, I hope. hope so. I mean, honestly, with all the stuff with Roe v. Yeah. Wade, it's like, if we're, if we're not, then forget it. Then this society is <laughs> I think doomed. we all, then all the women figure out how to get to Mars and we move there or somewhere else. See, somewhere more beautiful. That's more work for us. That's true. That's a really good point. I figure out spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> I would have gone to med school first. Sure. Um, yeah. So, it sounds like you have, it has evolved, this experience has evolved your relationship with your body and your health and you're at a place now where you just take more, you know, thoughtful care of yourself. Are there other things that you've done, other things that like this has influenced in your life? I think it actually had a big, um, I started stand-up comedy about four years ago, um, right around the time that this happened. Mm. And, um, you know, I host a show called The Ladies' Room that's an all f- that you've I done. I love that show. You, so oh my god, fun. you are so awesome on that show. I still talk about it. You are. Oh my because, god. Oh, stop it. You're you, like how you you. I think you had originally asked. You were like, do you guys do powerpoints? And I was like, I, I don't usually know. use a crutch. Yeah, yeah, right. But it was like so brilliant, and it was just like so different than like our normal like stand up acts. That it's just like it stands out in my mind oh, as like a you. really yeah. It was an awesome. It was really awesome. But my the idea of starting the ladies' room was that we were like this is a place where women can feel very comfortable with each other, and that's what the ladies room sort of that's the metaphor is that like when you go to the ladies room like you know you make a fast friend or like you can tell somebody if somebody's creepy outside or like if you love their shirt whatever and so when I started that and when I started with my uh, partner Jesse who uh, who does the show with me she was like we, we both were like we need a pl- we want to make a show for that literally gives a microphone to women who I have something to say. And that's like, that was the literal, like, that is the bar. is like women who, from an interesting perspective, have, who have something to say. And I really think that all of this, um, you know, I think a lot of this happening to me and me realizing the power of women talking to each other, women talking about their experience and how powerful it is to dispel that information. You know, I'd done sketch comedy and, and writing for a long time, and my you know my career in reality start was was started like eight or nine years ago. So like halfway through that is when I started doing comedy, and that's what I'm doing now. And I really think a lot of that had to do with me having to take like a really harsh look at one, like how short life is, and two, like what I'm doing on this earth and what I feel like my time is here 
like what how I want to spend that time here and what I want my nieces who are 14 and 11 like what I want their experience to be like Mm -hmm. and so you know I I I say it all the time like the stuff that I work on and the stuff that I want to do is stuff that I want them to be able to watch with their friends that like I didn't get to see or those perspectives that I didn't know existed when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. So um, I think a lot of that came from having this happen to me and like really taking a look at how women's bodies are talked about and not talked about and how important it is to um, have information that's readily available to everybody. I love that. That's amazing. And if people want to find you, where will they find you? Um, I'm uh, Instagram, Twitter. Have you heard of them? They're good. Jen Odd, J-E-N-O-D-D on Twitter. Jen Odd 1 on Instagram. I couldn't get Mm. both, you know. Uh, Ladies Room LA on Twitter. And check out the show. It's so fun. Thank you. We actually just did a show, our first show over at the Ruby. We're trying it out. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. we had a show last night. Awesome. It went super well. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do, I'm hosting an episode of um, Tight Five on Hoo Ha Ha on August 6th. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's, that's um, like on Instagram. I think you can watch that. And uh, yeah. Awesome. I'm around. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. It was really good to talk to you. I'm glad that we, we chatted about it. I'm glad too. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.